Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And I'm going to read just two verses. Uh, verse 37 and verse 38. And uh, you, you'll notice many of you have a red letter Bible, okay? If you do, probably the whole page where Luke chapter 6 is, uh, is in red. Uh, this, this is a part of what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. Very simply because Jesus went up into a mount, and when he was set, his disciples came to him, and, and he taught them. And uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to live. Uh, so listen to a couple of things. Now, I want you to notice something, okay? Uh, in, in the verses I'm going to read, verses 37, 38, uh, Jesus will say, I want you to not do this, or I want you to do this, and then he gives the result of their obedience to what he says. And in other words, it's a cause and an effect type thing. So look, look at it, uh, number one in verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. That's a good idea. By the way, it's divine idea, amen? It came from God. God incarnated in flesh, Jesus Christ. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. And I think what that's saying is, if you won't be so judgmental about other people, other people won't be so judgmental about you. That's a good thing, amen? Just a hint, okay? Uh, the next thing he said, condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Uh, how many of you, don't lift your hand, just think about it, but how many of you think it, it is a whole lot easier to find something to condemn somebody for than it is to commend them for it? And by the way, usually, condemning somebody for something doesn't help them at all. But if you commend them, it does help them. For instance, if you commend somebody for doing something, uh, they'll do it better the next time. By the way, if you men, uh, if your wife fixed a good meal for you tonight, uh, it would have been a good idea for you to commend her for that. Uh, and by the way, if you don't, you might be eating TV meals for a long time, okay? And uh, by the way, uh, wives, it, it wouldn't be mad if you could find something uh, your husband is doing well, and if you look hard enough, long enough, eventually you will, okay? But to commend him for it. And by the way, when you do, uh, they'll do it a little bit better. And same thing with parents. Uh, haven't you noticed it's a whole lot easier to condemn your children than it is to commend them? But wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us every day just looked for something to commend somebody for rather than to condemn them, Okay. And then he said, forgive and you shall be forgiven. That's a good idea, amen. And uh, I doubt if there's a person sitting here tonight that somewhere along the line you've not done something or said something and you wish that somebody would forgive you. And the best way you can do that is to forgive others. Maybe somewhere along the line somebody has said something about you or done something to you and you've never really forgiven them. It'd be a good idea to forgive them. You say, well, if they ever ask me to, I will. They don't even know you have a grudge against them, okay? And by the way, you're not forgiving them for them. You're forgiving them for you because you're not big enough to carry those grudges around, okay? And then in verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, press down, shake it together and running over. Shall men give in your bosom for the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. I have been preaching for 65 years. You say, well, you ought to about be finished by now, even. 
And uh, maybe I am, okay? But I've been preaching for 65 years. I preached my first sermon in, in 1954. And uh, I, I doubt, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say I have quoted Luke 6, 38 thousands of times. I don't believe I'm exaggerating in that. I've quoted it. Uh, a few months ago, as I was reading through my Bible, the Gospel of Luke, and I came to verse 38, I looked at that verse, and I looked at it, and I read it over and over again, and all I could think of was uh, that that verse deserves more than to just be quoted. It deserves to be expounded. It is filled with great truth. So look, look at it again, okay? Give. And it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For the same measure you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now, this is obviously, as many of the illustrations are in the Bible, it is obviously an agricultural illustration. And it, it's an illustration of a farmer that is selling wheat. And he has his basket there. And he fills it up to the top, okay? Given it shall be given to you, good measure, okay? Fills it up to the top. And then he wants everybody that he sells something to to get everything they deserve and more. Uh, so he takes his hands and he pushes it down. And then he takes the bush basket and, and he shakes it, and that makes it go down. And then he fills it all the way up to the top again until it's running over in other words, here's a good farmer, and he's saying, anybody that buys something from me, I want them to be sure that they're going to get more than they deserve. Now, evidently, an agricultural illustration. How many of you remember the word, a baker's dozen? Anybody remember that word? A baker's, remember what it meant? You go to the bakery and you'd buy a dozen donuts and they'd throw in an extra one. You get 13 donuts. Uh, that was in the old days. I think now if you go to the bakery and buy a dozen of donuts, they'll probably give you 11, okay? Uh, but it's a different generation. But the bakery doesn't mean you know, you, you're going to get more than you paid for, more than you deserve. Now, now listen to Jesus Christ. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, checking together, and running over. Think about that. Jesus. By the way, God must have loved the word give. Uh, in my Bible program that I use, the word give, some form of it, is used 811 times. That's a lot of times, amen. Now, to be sure, most of the time, it's talking about what God has given to us. For instance, in uh, uh, James chapter 1, the Bible says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I really believe what that verse means is that everything I have is a gift from God. Or you say, well, Brother Sis, you're a preacher. Everything you have might be a gift from God, but I work hard for everything I've got. But who gives you the breath to work? In him we live and move and have our beings. Uh, who puts you in a place where you could even have a job and so forth? No, no, uh, hey, uh, 
read the Bible over and over and over. Everything we have is a gift from God. My time, my talent, my tree. Everything I have is a gift from God. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, there, there's a beautiful verse, verse 7. Listen to it. <clears throat> there are two questions here. Both of these questions have an obvious answer. Uh, we call them uh, theologically rhetorical questions. So here's the first question. Who maketh thee to differ from another? That's an obvious answer, amen? God, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made each of us, and isn't it wonderful? He made us each one different. Who maketh thee to differ from an, another? Uh, wouldn't it be a sad world if everybody in the world looked just alike? Can you imagine eight billion people looking like Don says? Would that be a horrible word or not? <laughs> but it'd be worse if eight billion people looked like some of you tonight, okay? <laughs> so God made us all different. Uh, then the next question is, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Again, the answer is obvious. I don't have anything that I did not receive. Everything I have came from God. God puts it in our hand. Even then, it's not really ours. We are stewards of that, but it still belongs to God. So everything I have came from God. Now, here's an amazing thing. God wants me and God wants you, every one of you. If there's 8 billion people here tonight, I could say it to every one of them. God wants you to give him something. Wait a minute, God? You want me to give you something? I mean, after all, the Bible says through faith, we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God. Think about that one. Not just the world, not just planet Earth, but the entire universe was formed by the word of God. You say, now, Brother Sisk, I know you came from Kentucky, and uh, you're, you're old, and uh, back in your days, the teachers didn't know very much, and I'm sure uh, back in those days, you didn't learn about the Big Bang Theory, okay? Hey, by the way, I did. And I believe in the Big Bang Theory. Okay, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I do. That might be disappointing to me. I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God spoke, and bang, there it was, amen? <laughs> hey, and by the way, that's exactly the way it happened. Read Genesis 1. God said, and it was. God said, and it was. God said, and it was. He spoke the entire world into existence, and Colossians 1.17 tells us that the whole universe was created by him, and for him. So God owns the entire universe. It all belongs to him. Then what in the world would he want me and you and every one of the 8 billion people on planet Earth give to him? And there are some things that I am absolutely sure that he wants us to give him. Now, I want you to think about what for just a minute. There are several words in the Bible, and I'll use several of them, okay? 
that are a little bit different, but they basically mean the same thing. There's the word give. There's the word present. There's the word yield. Uh, there is the word commit. They're a little bit different, okay? But basically, they mean the same thing, okay? In other words, God wants me to yield something to him, to give something to him, to present something to him, to commit something to him. So there are three things that I'm absolutely sure that God wants you to commit, to give, to present, to yield to him. Number one, he wants you to yield your soul to him. Huh? To whom have you committed your soul? Here, Brother Perry talking about uh, all the things that, you know, that, that the woman had done, but come find out she had not really committed her soul to the Lord. Uh, you commit your soul to uh, Central Baptist Church. Central Baptist Church is wonderful. Central Baptist Church has no saving power at all. Some people commit their, their, their soul to, to their baptism or to the Lord's Supper or to, to the amount of money that they give to the work or maybe for preaching or teaching or being a missionary. You know, no, 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 no. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He, he had gone through all kinds of problems and trials. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, but I'm not ashamed. I've been through all these trials and so forth, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. You know what Paul's saying? I have committed my soul to Jesus Christ, and I am confident, I'm persuaded beyond any shadow of a doubt that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. So have a good thought tonight. Think for just a minute. The time when you committed your soul to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means you came to a place where you realized you were a sinner and on your way to hell. By the way, nobody gets saved until they get convicted. It means that you realize you cannot save yourself. And if you got what you deserved, you would die and go to hell. And yet you believe that Jesus Christ, God's son, died for your sins, was buried and resurrected from the grave, and is ready and willing to save anybody. And the Bible simply says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm, I'm assuming that most of you and maybe all of you, I don't know, has come to that place where you have committed your soul to Jesus Christ. Uh, I did that when I was 16 years old. Third Saturday night in October, 1949. So I've, I've been saved for over 70 years, okay? I can, I can remember it very well. I went to church that night. I knew I was lost. I knew I was on my way to hell. I didn't have any reason for living. I didn't have any hope. I was lost, hopeless. And that night I went for the express purpose of getting saved. I wanted to get saved. I didn't know what, what it's all about, but I wanted it, okay? I didn't know much about the Bible, but I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was on my way to hell. 
I, I knew that there was a heaven. I knew there was a hell. And I knew if I died in my sin, I'd go to hell. And I wanted to get saved. I, I don't even remember what the preacher preached that night. I don't remember his name or anything about the sermon. I just wanted him to quit preaching so I could go forward and do whatever I needed to do. And then finally he quit preaching like all preachers do. And uh, I, I went forward and I said, I, I need to be saved. And, and thank God there was a Baptist preacher there. And he took his Bible and he showed me all those things that I already knew. And that night I just bowed my head and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I didn't, I didn't see any lights flashing. I didn't feel any liquid love running up and down my spine. I didn't have all the, those hallucinations and so forth. But when I got up for, off my knees that night, I had a peace in my heart I'd never had before in a whole life. Now think about it. When I give my soul to Jesus Christ, when I present my soul to him, when I commit my soul to him, what does he give to me? Number one, he gave me eternal life. And I give to them eternal life. Uh, he gave me spiritual life. I went to church alive physically, but dead spiritually. I went home alive spiritually. I didn't know that then, okay? But thank God I learned it in the Bible later. He changed my destiny. I went to church on my way to hell. I went home on my way to heaven. In fact, I remember laying on my bed many nights hoping and praying. I, I, I don't die tonight. If I die tonight, I'd go to hell. And I went home that night, and I lay on that bed, and I thought, well, I might die tonight. But if I do, I'll, I'll wake up in heaven. <laughs> Amen. And I've come, had some near-death experiences, but thank God you have the peace of God. If it happens, I'm going to heaven. He gave me eternal life. He forgave me all my sins. Think about that. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Pressed down, shaking together, running over, shall men give in your bosom. He gave me a position before God as if I had never sinned. Now, I didn't know any of these things that night I got saved. I, I, I had no idea all that happened. But the more I read the Bible, the more I realize how much God has given me. Amen. He wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. You just go on and on and on. Give, it shall be given to you. Do you know that many Christians have the idea that salvation is a ticket to heaven and an escape from hell? And by the way, it is both of those things. Because no believer will ever go to hell. And every true believer will surely go to heaven, okay? But it is not just that. The first Verse in the Bible that I memorized was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. A few weeks after, join, after getting saved, I went forward in a revival meeting at the Nortonville Baptist Church. And Brother Ratliff, I told him I wanted to be baptized and, and, and become a member of the church. And he wanted to be sure I was saved. So he took me in a little room, and he went over the plan of salvation again. He wanted to be sure I was saved. And, and we prayed together and so forth. And then he gave me a New Testament, and he underlined Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And he said, now, Don, before you come to church tomorrow night, I want you to memorize Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I took that New Testament home. I read that, those two verses over and over and over again until I could quote them. And I went to church the next night, and Brother Ratliff said, okay, Don, you remember that? did you memorize those verses? I said, I sure did, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm glad he gave me those verses. 
I've never had any problem with that. I, it wasn't what I did that got me saved. It was what Jesus Christ did for me. Forgave me all my sins. Gave me, he took from me what I deserved, hell. And he gave me what I did not deserve, heaven. But if you read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the way it was written, by the way, it wasn't written in verses. Both of you know that, okay? Now, I'm glad it's in verses. It makes it easy for us, okay? But if you read that, the, the paragraph does not end with verse 8. It ends with verse 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk therein. In other words, we don't work in order to get saved, but because we are saved, we work. Faith without works is a dead faith. Listen, God not only wants your soul, he wants all of you. All of me? God, why would you want me? But he does. You say, how do you know? The Bible is very plain, okay? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, now listen to it, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What does it mean to present my body totally, unconditionally to God? I believe this is what it means. Listen to it. It means I say to God, dear God, I will be anything you want me to be. Okay? I will do anything you want me to do. I will go anywhere you want me to go. I will give anything you want me to give. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans 12, 1. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Have you ever really come to the position where you consciously said to God, Dear God, I am presenting myself totally, unconditionally to you. Remember when God appeared to Abraham, told him some things he wanted him to do? Remember what Abraham said? Here am I. Here am I. In fact, in chapter 22, he said it four times. Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. Remember what Moses said at the burning bush? Here am I. Remember what Samuel said? Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Remember what Isaiah said when he saw that great vision of a thrice holy God? I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. In other words, he volunteered. By the way, that was a generic call. He volunteered. Here am I. Send me. Have you ever come to the place in your life when you made an unconditional total surrender of your life to God? Now, now I, I know the devil's working, okay? And I know what the devil would be telling you tonight. Wait a minute. If you said you'd do anything God wants you to do, he might want you to be a missionary. He might want you to be a pastor.
He might want you to be a truck driver. Hey, by the way, it doesn't make any difference what God wants. Whatever God wants, that's the best for you. Amen. If you said, I'd go anywhere God wants me to go, uh, that would mean I'd go to California. Huh? That means I would go to Japan. That means I would go to Korea. That means I would go to Africa. It means I'd go anywhere. Dear Lord, I'd go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll give anything you want me to give. You see, if I made that kind of commitment, God would make me go somewhere that I'd be miserable the rest of my life. God would make me do something that I'd be miserable. Wait a minute. You're talking about your heavenly father. Huh? Now, I know the devil, by the way, when he says that, remember, the devil is a liar and he's the inventor of lies. Amen? Nothing could be farther from truth than that. I love this statement. I did not coin it, but I've quoted it so many times. I nearly claim it as my own, but I love the statement. God reserves the best for those who leave the choice to him. Hear my Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to go, whatever you want me to be, whatever you want me, I'm, I'll do it. I'm making myself totally available to you. Years ago, I had a good friend by the name of Ron Bishop. And at that time, Ron was the basketball coach and athletic director of Tennessee Temple University. And Ron had a similar testimony to mine. He didn't come from a Christian home. And he got saved when he was 15 years old. But he, he told about going to camp soon after he got saved. And he said at that camp, it was near a, a Christian college. And at that camp, they had some young men that was 18, 19, 20, 21 years old uh, as counselors. And they had some young ladies that, you know, the same age, that age. And he was 15 years old. But he said, there was one of those girl counselors, and she was the prettiest thing I'd ever seen in my life. He said, I got such a crush on her, I couldn't take my eyes off of her. And sometimes younger boys get a crush on older girls, okay. And, and Ron said, I mean, I was struck. And he said, I heard these Af missionaries saying, I told God I'd go anywhere but Africa, and God sent me to Africa. I told God I'd go anywhere but China, and God sent me to China. And he said, I began to pray, dear God, don't make me marry her and go to Hawaii as a missionary. <laughs> and he said, sure enough, God didn't do either one. <laughs> no, no. When I present myself totally unconditionally to God, then God can give me his very best. I've been to some 80 different countries around the world, all of them with missionaries, okay? And I never cease to be amazed when you go to a country and you watch a missionary, and it, it just seems this is the perfect place for him or her. Hey, God knows more about us than we know about ourselves. Don't be afraid to commit your life to God. God wants you. Now think about it. God wants my soul. He does. The Bible says it is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The, the Bible says this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, 
who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of God. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in all due time. God wants every one of the eight billion people on planet Earth to present their soul to him. And God wants every believer to trust him enough, to rely upon him enough to say, Lord, here I am. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. But this may be the most difficult one. God wants me to give him my substance. And every time I think about that, I say, God, have you looked at my estate recently? <laughs> have you looked at my checkbook? Have you looked at my savings account? You, God, that owns the cattle of a thousand hills and all the hills they walk on, the gold and the silver, and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and you, you want my substance? But he does. Huh? You say, how do you know, Brother Sid? Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God, yet you've robbed me? But you say, whenever we rob thee in, in tithes and offering, you're cursed with the curse. Bring you all the tithes in the storehouse. And see if I'll not open the windows of heaven. Pour you out a blessing you'll not be able to receive. Try me. Trust me. Prove me, said the Lord of hosts. See if I'll not open the windows of heaven. So God wants every one of us to give at least one-tenth of everything he gives to us. Now, think about it. He gave it all to us. Okay? Everything we have is a gift from God. And he asked us to give him one-tenth of that back. And I heard Brother W.E. Jones, my pastor in Black Oak, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, Black Oak Baptist Church, preach a very simple message on tithing. Virginia and I just got married in 1952. And I sat there that day as a young married man, and, and I listened to him preach about tithing. And he explained the tithe is one-tenth of everything God gives you. Uh, the tithe belongs to the Lord. You are to give it to your local church. It's for the work of the local church. If you don't tithe, you're robbing God. If you do tithe, God will bless you. Seemed pretty simple. So at the end of the service, I went forward, and I said, hey, Brother Jones, I... I guess I've heard about tithing before, but I never thought about it. But uh, from this day forward, I'm, I'm making a commitment that uh, everything God gives me from this day forward, that was in 1952, I'll give at least one-tenth of that back to God through the church that I'm a member of. That's the way Brother Jones preached it in 1952. Uh, I still use the same Bible he does, so I preach it the same way today. Amen. Some things just don't change. And yet, there, there are many believers, sad to say, there's many believers that will not trust God with one-tenth of all that he gives to them. Now, when I first started tithing, uh, Brother Andrews, uh, it was very legalistic. And by the way, when, when Brother Jones told the congregation about it, he prayed with me and he told the congregation about it. And when he said, now Don's committed his life to be a tither, the treasurer didn't jump up and say, well, now that Don's going to tithe, our financial problems are over. 19, 1952, I was making a dollar an hour. 
<laughs> you say, big deal. If my tithe was just $4, I wouldn't mind tithing. But when you only have $36 left, that's not much, amen? <laughs> so what, what are you saying? I'm saying this. My tithe did not make an impact on the treasure of Black Oak Baptist Church. But it made an impact on me. It proved to me that if I do what God told me to do, then God would take care of me. Now, as I said, when I first started, it was kind of legalistic, you know. If I worked overtime, worked 45 hours, made $45, I'd give $4.50. I didn't want to overdo it, okay? And it, that's all right. You have to start somewhere. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I mean, you know, I was growing, and we grow. And, but I, I hear, even today, I, I, I get the many questions about tithing and so forth, and some of them want to say, well, it's Old Testament, it's not in the New Testament, but it is in the New Testament. Jesus talking about all the things the Pharisees are doing. He said, these you ought to have done and not to have left the others undone. In other words, you ought to tithe, you ought to fast, you ought to pray and so forth, but don't leave the other thing undone. And uh, in, anyway, I, I, I was I hear people say, well, Brother says, and I've heard this so many times, I've got a good answer for it, okay? Brother says, you believe we ought to tithe off of the net income or the gross income? Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, you sure have. Here's a good answer. God has promised to bless you if you tithe, and you have to decide, do I want his net blessings or his gross blessings? Okay. I, I don't know about you. I'd, I'd rather have his gross blessings. Amen. 1968, I was home on furlough from Japan. I was preaching in the Marquette Manor Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois, on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Wednesday night, or Monday through Wednesday, Dr. Van Gilderen had Dr. Billy McCarroll, pastor of Cicero Bible Church in Chicago, to come and teach Marquette Manor Baptist Church about a concept that I'd never heard of in all my life. They called it faith, promise, giving. I'd never heard it. But Dr. McCarroll, he, he, he expounded 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. <clears throat> By the way, this week, why don't, you, why don't you read those two chapters? Now, don't do it while I'm preaching tonight, okay? You do, you, but you do it when you get home tonight or tomorrow sometime. It won't take you very long, but just read it. The whole two chapters is about one subject, and the subject is an offering. Now, the offering was not for the church at Corinth, but it was to be given through the church at Corinth. And it was going out to others, something outside of their own local church. In reality, 2 Corinthians 89 is all about a missionary offering. And I remember him expounding those verses. I ate lunch with him on Tuesday, and I picked his brain. I ate lunch with him on Wednesday. And I went back to the church, and I was so excited about it. I told my pastor, Brother Max Cannon, I've, I've learned something. I want to show it to you. And he said, okay, if you can explain it to our church, then we'll start having faith promise in our next mission conference. And I did. And I took a commitment card. Kind of, I don't have one of those. I'll get one tomorrow night. And, but uh, it, it just simply said on there, by faith in God, I promise to give X number of dollars per week to world evangelization above my tithing offering to my local church. My church at that time was Calvary Baptist Church in Harvey, Illinois. And at the end of the conference, I took one of those cards, and I put on there, by faith in God, I promise to give $5 a week above my tithing offering 
to world evangelization. And I, you say, well, you didn't have much faith, did you? Five dollars a week. I was a missionary in Japan, and we had less than five hundred dollars a month support. It took some faith, okay? Now that was in nineteen and nineteen and sixty-eight. In two thousand and eighteen, I made my fiftieth faith promise commitment. Last year, I made my fifty-first faith promise commitment. Every year, I have increased my faith promise giving. And a long time ago, the largest item in our budget, the largest one item in our budget, became faith promise giving. More than the car payment, more than the house payment, more than the dish bill, huh? more than the golf games, or more than basketball games, more than anything else. The biggest item in our budget for many, many years, faith promise giving. You say, Brother Sis, how do you know God wants me to give to missions? Listen to it. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Now listen very carefully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Listen to it. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now, if you're not careful, some of you ladies will sit there and say, Amen, let the men give. But he's not talking about gender in that verse. I think he honestly means Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Huh? Wouldn't it be something if two Sundays from now or whenever you're going to do that, every member of Central Baptist Church would make a commitment to give something every week to missions above their tithe and offering. And here's the way you ought to pray. If you're already giving, your prayer ought to be, Dear Lord, how much would you have me to increase my giving? When your faith is increased, we shall be enabled to you to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. Now, if you're not giving, begin to pray. How much would you have me to give? In other words, everybody ought to give something, and the ones that are already given ought to give more. Now, I want you to repeat something after me, okay? If you do it right the first time, we'll only have to do it one time. If you don't, you'll have to do it again. Now, just imagine you were at uh, a Southern Miss's uh, football game or basketball game or your high school basketball game. You're all excited. So don't, don't, don't act like you're at church tonight. Act like you're at a football game, okay? And really get excited about it, okay? Now, just repeat after me. Everybody after me, okay? Everyone giving something. That wasn't very good. Okay, you're going to have to do it again, okay? Get excited about it. Everyone giving something. And everyone giving more than they ever gave before. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. If everybody gave something and everybody gave more than they ever gave before, then your mission giving would increase exponentially. What about it? Have you committed your soul to Jesus Christ. Hey, by the way, don't let the devil fool you. Don't let the devil fool you. If you've never committed your soul to Jesus Christ, this would be a great night to do that. You say, well, I'm a church member. I'd be embarrassed to do no, You better be embarrassed for a few minutes and spend eternity in hell. If you've not committed your soul to Jesus, you ought to do that tonight. Have you ever, ever really made a commitment of yourself to Jesus? 
Now, I think if we'd be honest tonight, this altar would be filled with people just bowing down and saying, here I am, Lord. I, I'll, I'll give my all to you. Have you really committed your substance to the Lord? Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give in your bosom. Now I want you to know, just for a minute, okay? Look at the last part of that verse. For the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You know, you know what Jesus is saying? You just decide how much you want. With the same measure you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. I began pastoring in 1956. Johnson Island Baptist Church. Christmas came and Mrs. Lynn came to Virginia and myself and she said, Brother Don, I want you and Miss Virginia to go to Jordan Furniture Company in Madisonville. And you buy whatever you need, whatever you want, put it on my account. Uh, some of you older people, remember when we had accounts rather than credit cards? Put it on my account. I have an account there. And I'll pay for it, and that'll be my Christmas present for y'all. And I said, Ms. Lynn, about how much should we spend? She said, Brother Don, it doesn't make any difference. Whatever you need, whatever you want. Now, we were in Bible school. We needed everything we saw. <laughs> we wanted everything we saw. I mean, you know, uh, two of our people, two of our members of our church, Buford and Ruby Day, they, they worked there at Jordan Furniture Company. So we went, got with them. We talked with them. We looked at bedroom suits. We looked at living room suits. We looked at refrigerators. You know, we looked at carpet. We looked at everything in that furniture store. And Ms. Lynn said, you, you can have anything you need, anything you want. Uh, we, we should have just got a, a big U-Haul truck and loaded it up. But we didn't. We left Jordan Furniture Company that day in 1956 with a magazine rack about that long. It cost $5.95. I've still got that magazine rack. It's a trophy. It's a trophy of my stupidity. <laughs> I could have had anything in that furniture store. And we settled for a $5.95 magazine. And that was an embarrassment to Mrs. Lynn. Listen to God tonight. Don't sell yourself short, okay? Don't sell yourself short. Every time I look at that magazine rack, I think, you don't have to be a $5.95 Christian. You don't have to be a $5.95 preacher. You don't have to be a $5.95 missionary. You don't have to be a $5. No, no. We have the unlimited resources of Almighty God at our disposal. And the way we get them is by giving. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give unto you? For the same measure you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Psalms 81.10 says this. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. In the Old Testament, when God wanted to show the Israelites what he could do, he said, hey, I brought this million and a half or two million Jews out of the Egyptian bondage through the Red Sea on dry ground. Pharaoh and his army trying to go through the same sea was all drowned. I'm the Lord thy God, 
which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. You know what he said? I can do anything. And then he said, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Don't sell yourself short. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. How many of you could say with me tonight, Brother Sisk, there's